Larry Bird's not walking through that door. We're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. It's my team. It's my quarterback. A kick. It is. Good. 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 To be the man, you gotta beat the man. The 2 1. Swung lane drive left field. One run is in. Here comes Green. Here's the run of the play. He is. This is the Powers on Sports Podcast. Thanks for tuning into the Powers on Sports Podcast. We really appreciate it. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review. Before we get back to the episode, want to mention Titan Home Lending. If you have any home financing needs in the state of Florida, reach out to me, Jason Powers, Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. I can help you with a home purchase, with a refinance, with a cash out refinance, with a renovation loan, a VA loan, FHA loan, conventional loan, and virtually anything in between relative to home financing. So reach out to me at Titan Home Lending, 205-790-1404. You can reach me on email at jpowers at titanhl.com. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. All right, welcome back to the Powers on Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Powers, down here in Tampa. Glad to have you joining us on the various podcast platforms that you may be listening to us. We've got a great episode here this week for you. We've got a, we're going to interview a Rays insider, one Steve Carney, the founder of stpete9.com. Steve is a longtime uh, radio uh, personality in the Tampa Bay sports radio market. And uh, we're going to talk all things Rays. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball big picture topics. We're going to talk the World Series last year. Kevin Cash's decision to take out Blake Snell when he did in the ramifications of that and uh, a lot more. So welcome to the podcast, Steve. Appreciate you joining us. Hey, Jason, it's good to be here, my friend. Great, great. All right, let's get right to it. First off, game six last year. I don't know where you were at. What were your initial thoughts when you saw Mr. Cash walking out of the dugout, bottom of the sixth inning, Blake Snell throwing a gem and against the Dodgers? What were your initial thoughts? Well, I mean, I think I was with uh, a large majority of Rays fans uh, sitting uh, on my couch uh, watching the game on television. I did not travel to Texas uh, for the World Series. Um, the station I was working at at the time, uh, the flagship of the Rays, WDAE, uh, deemed that it was not necessary because, well, everything was done over Zoom all of last year, including all the interviews in the World Series. We had no face-to-face time uh, with the players or the staff whatsoever. So um, I was just like you and just like everybody else uh, watching the World Series, sitting on my couch, and I went, oh, no. I'm like, this is one. this is, well, I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those moments where, you know, this is either going to work and Kevin Cash is going to be remembered for being the guy smart enough to take Blake Snell out at the right time and turn things over to his to his bullpen with a one nothing lead, or he was going to be known as the guy who pulled Blake Snell throwing a gem. And you know, it turned out to be the latter. But it's it while I was you know upset and kind of going, oh, this is this is not the right move. It was the right move. This was the move that the Rays had done all year long. Uh, they and it, they had done it in game two of the World Series, uh, and it had worked out. They they won game two, tied up the series because Kevin Cash was smart enough to know that Blake Snell had not gone through uh, a, a third time through the order. And so I looked at what they had done all year long. And all year long, it had worked. You know, it didn't work in one game. It turned out to be the game that they needed in order to force game seven, where all bets are off. And I I don't think you would have seen anybody go more than, say, an inning or two. Uh, And you might have seen Blake Snell back out there in game seven because he was at at a point where, you know, he wasn't 
at 100 pitches or anyone that so i i think that if they had gotten through and they had won game six you could have seen blake snow in game seven uh, uh amazingly enough but you know uh i you know i had so many people come up afterwards and go you know this cash is stupid and you know it's like cash isn't stupid cash knew and everybody in that dugout knew that that was going to be the move it, it didn't matter if it was for the for the good, you know, the results may have been good. The results may have been bad, but the results had worked over the the course of the season, and so that was going to be the the move that was made. Now, Nick Anderson, we found out later, was pitching on fumes. He had nothing left at the at the end of the season, and that's why he looked so difficult at the shouldn't, at the end. Of the shouldn't season. Kevin Cash have known though that Nick Anderson was on fumes? relative to where Blake Snell was at at that particular real-time moment in the game and well at, at that point you're go you're going to a point where you know would you rather have had your best reliever all year long taking on some of the some of the tough part uh let's let's face it I mean he was going to get Betts and he was going to get Seeger he was going to get Turner and he was going to get Bellinger uh you know, I I would much rather have had Nick Anderson out there than let's say, and uh, I'm I'm going to use two guys who weren't on the roster at the point uh, at that time because they were both injured. But you know, I would rather have Nick Anderson out there than say Andrew Kittredge or Chaz Rowe sure. or even Jose Alvarado at that time. So who was on the on the World Series roster? I mean, you dance with the date you brought, and that was the date that he brought. The one thing I said, and I said this on the next, you know, the day after the next episode of my podcast, I made the statement that I, one way or another, Blake Snell had pitched his last pitch for the Rays. And whether it was that World Series decision, whether it was financial decision, I said, Blake Snell with what happened and how it happened like that, he would never pitch another another inning for the Rays. And, uh, you know, who knows what the ultimate decision of why they traded him to San Diego was, but I just had a hard time, and you and you heard some, and I know you know this. You heard some other guys in the dugout questioning, "Man, what are they?" I mean, I know we've lived, I know we've lived this way most of the year, and how this is how we manage the game. But man, he was our best guy. He was rolling. There was no stress at all during that game. And how do you do that? Game six of the World Series. Well, I, and and I'll I put it on the I'll put the shoe on the other foot. You know, he had just walked the number nine guy to bring up Mookie Betts uh, and what it's, if that's Blake that gives up the double to Mookie Betts and, and a single to, to Corey Seager and falls down two one, everybody's right. yelling at cash saying that, right. that he left Blake Snell in two batters too long. You had Nick Anderson up and throwing at the start of the inning. Why wasn't he in there? It's all results bias to, sure. to be honest. And, you know, I, I thought, uh, you know, afterwards, you know, with everything and and I give Blake a ton of credit you know he said yeah I was pissed but I'm so I'm supposed to be pissed and Cash said the same thing you know Blake should be mad if I'm t if I'm taking him out especially uh at that point I personally didn't uh, I I I, sh I shouldn't say that I I I didn't think that he had pitched his last inning as a Tampa Bay Ray I wasn't sure I mean we had all heard the the talk and, and the Rays are one of those teams that you know revenue is a big deal and they can't go out and lose right. a, a boatload of money being a, a small market team and someone was going to have to be moved in the offseason and the question was was it going to be Blake Snell was it going to be Kevin Kiermeyer or was it going to be able be both of them right well they moved they moved Blake Snell because Eric Nader got blown out of the water right with the with the return that he got right from him I mean you got uh you know Luis Patino probably their top uh pitching prospect outside of Mackenzie Gore you got Francisco Mejia who two years ago was maybe the top catching prospect in all of baseball right and, and two other two other minor leagues uh two other minor league players that are slated to be big pieces in, in the future and so they were able to get something to help them sure. in the present something to help them in the future why not go out there and move blake and blake you know if, if you've watched what he's what's happened in san diego 
it's been more of the same from Chase Tingler out there with Blake. I mean, he got pulled. What is it? Uh, you know, in the second inning after throwing fifty pitches. I mean, right. that's that's. And, and I'll see, give the Rays front office credit. They're fantastic at like and kind of like the Patriots are in football. They'll trade you a year too soon as opposed to a year too late and get the return. And like I said, get a, and they're great at getting those, uh, you know, replenishing the, 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 the minor league talent in the prospect pool. Yeah. And that starts with, that started with Andrew Friedman, right. uh, that I, and, and I have talked with uh, a number of people in that, in the, in the race front office, including, Friedman and current general manager Eric Neander over the years and they have both told me you know when you're making a deal you're looking for something that's going to benefit both sides because if you don't do something that benefits both sides normally you don't work with that front office again because they don't feel that um, you know that they can come out better for the deal that's why that's why the Rays and Pittsburgh Pirates will probably never right. do another deal right. after the Chris Archer trade. Right. Man, that's, yeah, you're right. Absolutely. absolutely. And, and, and uh, you know, again, they have, we have the reputation of, like you said, we're, we're looking to downsize, not necessarily payroll, but veteran players. We like to play that go to the, go the youth movement as far as that goes. And that's been a winning formula for the Rays uh, in the last several years. Kevin Cat, are you a just personally? Are you an analytics guy? Or are you more of a traditional, see what you see on as far as a pitcher performance and things like that to make decisions? Well, I I uh, I say this in my bio on stpete9.com. I am a fan of new analytics and aged bourbon. So, <laughs> uh, no, I I mean I'm I am I'm a math guy by by trade. Um, so uh, I personally. Uh, I mean, you you have to have people out there and you have to be able to see in the moment, but you have to know that this is the game plan that works most often for you. And that that comes from the analytics side. So I'm I am more analytics than than anything, but I am not, you know, tried and true. This is the only it much like seeing seeing, uh, you know, gut intuition is the only way to go. I am not analytics is the only way to go but i think that it's a big portion and it should be a big piece to the game plan and and the organizational philosophy for teams and so i i i I consider myself an analytics guy okay good all right let's get to a couple big picture major league baseball rule changes and things like that that have gone into effect because of covid and all that stuff in in the in the fan interest in the game are you a fan of seven inning double headers I mean, they do seven inning double hitters in the minor leagues, so I, I can understand why you would want uh, why you would want to go to seven inning double hitters at, at the big league level. Um, I mean, I am always of the opinion that more baseball is always good baseball. Right. So but but you also have to take into consideration and, you know, seven inning double headers this year uh, is more of a. I, I think we're going to see seven inning double hitters going forward. You know, the new, collect, the new collective bargaining agreement is, or the, I should say the current collective bargaining agreement expires December 1st. And I think that's one of the pieces yep. that could certainly be um, changed permanently here is to go to seven inning double headers uh, at the big leagues. And maybe it gives teams an incentive to schedule double headers right i mean as opposed to as opposed to to having double headers be only a necessity because of rain uh you know rainouts and the like so uh maybe maybe you can go to two seven inning double headers i i thought that that would have been the smart thing for the rays to do was would be to ask to have two double headers scheduled one in the first half of the year one in the second half of the year you take a four games a weekend series against a team that normally doesn't draw well. And, you know, if you say the Oakland A's get a weekend series here and you turn a four game series into a three game series with a double header, say on Saturday um, and to go that route. And I think that would help the uh, help the the attendance issue at least once, you know, in in each half of the season. 
because would you rather have two nine thousand or ten thousand right. uh attend you know person attended game or one twenty thousand uh attended double header i think it makes more sense to go the second route i'm with i'm with it completely i think it, i think it'd be a great branding market marketing tool for major league baseball to to be able to like you said Hey, in in four Saturdays from now, everybody in the league is going to play a doubleheader on this particular Saturday and branded as Saturday, you know, Saturday sevens or something like that, where uh, you like you said to get a little more fan interest. Like you said, my my opinion, younger younger audience does not want to sit around for for fourteen, you know, for two nine inning games. They'd two two seven inning games go pretty quick. The, the, the owner's reluctance to reduce the number of games in the schedule is pretty low. They don't want to go to 154 games or less. So there well, you lose money and, and neither side wants to do that. Cause you lose, you lose money. I get it. Yeah, exactly. So if you play a seven, inning double header, you're saving a couple innings of pitching three or four times a year, which cuts out a game or two over the course of a season. So I think it's a great idea for the fans. Again, we as viewers, it's much easier to me. If, and I'm a big baseball fan. You want to get through the game. Let's let's keep it moving. Let's go. And I know there's a, there's an argument for for the tradition of a nine inning game and all that. But like you said, they do it in the minor leagues. They do it in college. Everybody's used to it as far as other than the major leagues. And I, I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for the league, and it's a good thing to get more viewers to the to the TV sets for a longer period of time. All right, next one. Runner on second to start extra innings. Here's the the debate: is you want again? You want to keep the game moving? You want to conserve pitching. Uh, the, the the average fan doesn't want to stay up for a 14 inning game till one o'clock in the morning. What are your thoughts? Nine innings. Ver- I mean, man on second versus traditional extra innings. Yeah. The Texas tiebreaker as, uh, as everybody knows uh, it as uh, I, I at first I was like, this is awful. Like when, when I first heard that they were going to use this at the big league level, I'm like, no, I don't like this. I don't like the I don't like the concept. I don't like the fact that a you know pitcher has to come in with a runner already in scoring position. And yes, I understand if that if that runner does come around and score, it's an unearned run, uh, so it does not affect their ERA. But I think it affects the way that pitchers work. And, you know, because I thought you know there was going to be so many teams that are just going to try and bun a guy over to third and you know sacrifice fly and you play for one and and then see if you can hold on. And I thought you were just going to see games go from being, you know, three, three games to nine, eight games because teams are just going to do that back and forth. And they haven't. So right. uh, I think part of that is the fact that nobody in the big leagues can bunt anymore. But uh, and, and to I mean, that's a, that's an obvious that's an obvious piece to why that doesn't get done. But, um, you know, uh, I think that you know, baseball is looking for ways to prevent, you know, the 18, the 22 inning game. I mean, I was at the 33 inning game in Pawtucket uh, in 1981 uh, <laughs> against Rochester. Now I, I saw the end of that 33 inning game. I did not stay for the first 32 innings at McCoy stadium, but I got a chance to see the 33rd inning. Wow. And I, I just, I just know that, you know, they're, they're looking to try and, make sure that players remain healthy because, yep. you know, you have these 18, 19, 20 inning games, you're burning through your pitching staff. Uh, you're having position players pitch uh, multiple innings. Be, uh, if it gets, if it goes on too long, you know, I just think that, you know, that's, that's more of a, a safety thing. Uh, to be honest, for me, I would love, I actually like the ideas uh, that come out of MPB and the KBO where, you know, you play a 10th inning. Normally you play an 11th inning and a 12th inning with the Texas tiebreaker. And if you're still tied after 12 innings, guess what? It's a tie. Right. Uh, Yeah. I don't, I think that that, uh, that may be the next thing coming down the pike. I don't think it's coming for much for very, like it's not coming tomorrow. Let's put it that way. But it wouldn't surprise me if eventually you start going, okay, that game just doesn't count and doesn't count for your record. And, you know, we'll see if, if, if you need that game, well, now, now you're going by a winning percentage and that's never a fun thing, but you know, it's going to come to a point where they're like, look, we we're paying these guys so much money. 
we can't we can't afford to get them hurt and we can't afford these pitchers getting hurt so we'll see what happens i'm okay with it now yeah um of just having watched it last year and it does make extra innings a little uh, a lot more exciting it does it does it keeps things moving if steve carney was commissioner for a week what would what would there be a rule change a uh uh, something uh, something in the in the way the mechanics of the game go that you would change that you don't really like right now um the first thing that i would do is i would modify the three batter rule um i'm not a fan of the fact that the offensive team can substitute while the defensive team is stuck doing what uh you know has stuck with the same pitcher right. i'm okay with the three batter rule as long as the the hitting team does not pinch hit so i think that the first thing i would do is say if you if you pinch hit i'm giving them the opportunity to change their pitcher right and we'll go and we can go that route now if you want to if you want to burn burn a guy so they bring in another pitcher and then pinch hit again I, I think you have to be able to pit, you have to pitch to one batter. Right. But at that point, you're, you're, you know, if you're going to, if you're going to burn two guys to do it, I, uh, I think that that makes more sense. So that would probably be the first thing that I do is I modify the, um, uh, I modify the three batter rule on the field, off the field. Uh, I have said that there is one very easy way to get guys to stop uh using performance enhancing drugs and it is to hit them hard in the wallet and i would say this this would be the other the other thing that i would try and uh pass through unilaterally the players would hate this um but to have them say come out in favor of performance enhancers and that is if you get caught with peds your service time clock gets reset to zero that's yeah, good. And so what that does, yeah. what that does, because the, there are two things that are uh, contingent on your service time clock, uh, you know, outside of free agency. And that is your major league baseball pension. Right. And your eligibility for the Hall of Fame. Right. Uh, so because you need 10 years of service time to be eligible for both of those. And so I, I think that, you know, if you get if you get caught with performance enhancing drugs, you get you you get your service time clock reset to zero. It, it'll allow uh, you to, or allows teams to not have to pay you a boatload of money because, well, you're not a free agent anymore. You don't have six years of major league service time. You can't be a free agent. You have to go through the process again. Now, if you go through the process again, you can become a free agent. You get that money back. And if you get to 10 years, you get to be eligible for your pension and you get to be eligible for the Hall of Fame again. But you have it's in it's in it's contingent on the player being able to uh, do that. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a good. I like that. That's a good idea because you're right. There's not much of an a 50 game suspension or 80 game suspension right now. Is financially is not a very big deterrent for most guy. Even a even a younger player. Even if you're a younger guy only making you know six five six hundred thousand for that first couple of years. You lose that, but you still three, four years down the road hit that sh that that huge free agent contract. It was a lot of people say it was worth it to do that, and, and mm -hmm. I just and I'm with you. I don't I don't agree with that. All right, one more question, big picture. You got Pete Rose just turned 80 years old. It's been 31, 32 years since that that dubious day in Plant City when Major League Baseball suspended him and all that stuff. And both you and mm -hmm. I are both old enough to remember that and all the things that went into that have gone into that whole saga. What are your views on Pete? Should he be reinstated? Has he served enough time? Has he been contrite enough to be back on the Hall of Fame ballot? It, I'm, I'm torn about this because I love the way that Pete Rose played the game. Uh, I, thought, I think Pete Rose is an incredible player. Not as great of a manager, but, uh, but a guy that could be the biggest ambassador for baseball right. that the sport could have i mean you think about it uh, this is this is hurt pete it's hurt the game as well i mean could you imagine what the last you know 20 or 30 years would have <clears throat> been like with pete rose 
involved in the game. I, I certainly think that the game would be so much better with if Pete could be involved. That being said, if if Pete Rose is getting into the Hall of Fame, you know, as a as a player, it is not going to be while Pete's alive. Uh, I I think that the his actions over the course of the last thirty two years have been. I, and they've been self-serving. You know, Pete is looking out for Pete. And right. rightfully so. I mean, Pete's got to look out for Pete. Sure. Because nobody else is nobody else in baseball is going to look out for him. And so, you know, I, I think the whole, you know, signing baseballs, I'm sorry, I bet on baseball. Yeah, come on, Pete. Right. Uh, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't think I don't think the sport has helped Pete. You know, having Jim Gray out there in 1999. Right. At Fenway Park during the All-Star game for the All-Century team, trying to get come on. I mean, that that's that's the wrong time to do that. Right. And so I, I think that you know both sides have screwed this up. That I you know, baseball the major league baseball has screwed this up. Pete has screwed this up. And and I think that eventually Pete's going to get in. It is never you Pete's never going to see it. Great. Yeah. It's crazy to think it's been that long and that, I mean, that 32 whatever. years, it was, it was 32 years 89. ago in a couple of months. Yep. Yep. Crazy, yeah. crazy thing. What are your opinions on, on Rob Manfred as a commissioner? I know there's been, he's had several gaffes with the mouth at press conferences where he's made just some offhand comments that have just been stupid and just been out of touch. What are your thoughts of him as a commissioner? You know, I like I like Manfred a lot more than Bud Selig because I've actually seen Manfred. You know, I never I never saw Bud Selig in Port Charlotte during spring training. You know, right. Rob Manfred's first year, he showed up. We all got a chance to shake his hand uh, as members of the media. It's the first time I ever met the commissioner. Was was doing I I didn't I didn't see the commissioner during the during the the playoff runs uh, for the Rays. You know, in two thousand and eight during the World Series, run. I never saw the commissioner. You know, the, you know, Bud, Bud Selig was nowhere to be found. Um, so, I mean, yes, man, some of the things that, that Manfred has done are, you know, head scratching. And I'm curious to see what his actions over the years are going to do to affect the next negotiation of collective bargaining. You know, which again, it's coming up. You know, the the next collective bargaining agreement has to be struck. Des, I think December. I think it's. I think it expires December one, and, and after that point, you know, all bets are off. You know, are we going to have winter meetings this year? I don't know. Lots you know, of people how, think. Lots of people think a strike's coming. I mean, well, I don't. I don't know. It, it may. It may. The, you know, the owners may lock out the players. That too. That's, yeah. A work. That, stoppage. that I think is a work stoppage. Yeah. Yes, there, I you know there's a lot of people that think there is going to be a work stoppage in baseball, myself included. Yeah. Um, how long that work stoppage goes, n- nobody knows. You know, could you know could it last uh, into 2022? Maybe could it? Could spring training be affected by it? Right. I certainly hope not. But um, you know, I'm curious to see how the players' association and Commissioner Manfred are able to work this out because let's face it, you know, the baseball and the players association after what we saw last year, right. uh, Trying to get the game back restarted. You know, there is a lot of uh, bad blood, a lot of ill will, whatever you want to call it uh, on both sides right now. And it's going to make the next set of labor negotiations, I think very contentious. And it's going to be a shame because Tony, like you said, Tony Clark and Manford, it's apparent they don't get along very well. The, 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 the fights and the debates they couldn't even come to during the pandemic were ridiculous. You couldn't come to base some basic agreements and some basic, you know, you know, whether it's universal DH, whatever playoff number of playoff teams, all that kind of stuff, those kind of things that ultimately affect the fans and and continue to affect the fans. I, I kind of I kind of get it, and you know the the expanded playoffs. You know, here here's the here's the thing. You know that a lot of people don't understand is that the players don't get paid during the playoffs. So I mean, the, their their contracts 
you know, they get for their contracts, they get they only get paid during the regular season. Right. So when you get to the postseason, it all comes out of a pool of television money. And so, you know, the fact is that, you know, with an expanded playoffs like they had last year with 10 teams, that's more players and more staff that are taking chunks out of the the playoff money pie. And so players got a lot less money per player in the postseason last year than they had in seasons past. I get it. I get it. But yeah, again, just, to me, just the, the, all the, every, cont- every issues contended, there's never a mutual understanding or an agreement on, Hey, this is good for the game. Let's do it. The pace of play. You know, you hear Tony Clark saying, I don't want any, any kind of play clock or any kind of let the players do whatever is take as long. Who cares how long the game takes? Well, the viewers and the ratings obviously dictate to a lot of people that they care how long the game goes. What's funny is that, you know, I, I look at baseball and then I look at something like the NBA and everybody talks about how baseball is so long. The NBA, have you ever watched the the last two minutes of an NBA basketball game? I've gotten a chance to this year because I've done work for the Toronto Raptors. The last two minutes of an NBA basketball game is interminable. Like it's so long. I I can't believe it's a two and a half hour game already. And like, I think they stretch it out to be two and a half hours. And then with those last, you know, four or five minutes in the fourth quarter, it's right. It can be, it can be unbearably long. Um, and, and I understand that, that baseball wants games to be shorter, but it, I think, and, and I've asked Tony Clark of this personally, I said, you know, you want games to be shorter, but you want games to be higher scoring as well. You know, isn't that counterintuitive? And right. of course, no, 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 no. And then Tony, Tony is great at these really long, smart sounding answers. Cause he sits there and he strokes his gray beard with his bald head. <laughs> and I love Tony Clark, but yeah, he said, he's such a nice guy to be around. And he's like, well, you know, I don't think it has to be mutually exclusive. Like he's, he's so soft spoken and like you, yet you, you sit there and you listen, but to me, it still sounds like it, like it, something doesn't make sense here. We want more offense but we want shorter games. How does that happen? There's a real easy way to shorten games. It's so simple and it will never get done. You go to the soccer format. You, you don't allow for commercial breaks. You know, what you do is you, you say this half inning is sponsored and you've got the, you've got the rolling, you know, advertisements. And, and instead of it, instead of it taking, you know, two or two, two minutes and 10 seconds or two minutes and 40 seconds right. for a um, change in for, for a commercial break on television. Yeah, you go, you're going out there, you're throwing, you know, let's go. And, and, and right then and there, you can probably save somewhere between 15 and 18 minutes. No, and right then you. and there you can do it. And so, and it, you know, cause you're making it, you're cause now it, it's only taking guys, you know, 90 seconds or, or, you know, to, to get ready. You, you get eight pitches. Let's go. Let, right. Let's move. And so I, I think, I think you could, you could do away with it. You know, I'm sure that, you know, commercial breaks, you know, but again, that's TV money. That's money. You know, you're, you're having to give up money maybe to help save, save the game. And I don't know how willing both sides are to give up on some, some of that uh, television ad revenue. Right. Right. For sure. All right, you're listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. I'm Jason. We got Steve Carney, Rays Insider, founder of SaintPete9.com, uh, longtime uh, radio radio uh, personality in the Tampa Bay area. We're talking Major League Baseball topics. We're talking Rays. Let's get to the Rays, the actual team, the 2020 Rays. You're, you know, they obviously Blake Snell's no longer here. Um, they've made several changes to the pitching staff. They brought Chris Archer back, Rich Hill in. Michael Waka. They brought in a lot of number three and number four kind of starters to go behind Tyler Glass. Now, your thought, your, your just your thoughts of the pitching staff, the starting staff as it's currently comprised with the Rays. Some older guys. They've kind of gone from the pitching staff wise. They've gone older as opposed to younger, where they've gone younger in the position, more the position player side of things. Well, 
what's funny, Jason, is that, you know, they have brought in some of these veteran uh, pitchers, you know, uh, Michael Walker is 29. So it's not like it's not like Michael Walker is a gray beard. I mean, Chris Archer is in his early 30s and Rich Hill is 41. Uh, I get I get that. And, you know, Archer didn't pitch last year with the thoracic outlet surgery that he that he had. You know, Hill, I thought, had a had a decent year in Minnesota. Walker right. was awful in New York. Yeah. But, um, you know, really, you, you weren't looking to bring in uh, number ones because you may have the best pitcher in the American League in Tyler Glass now, uh, you know, as the uh, as the man fronting as the tip of the spear, as I like to say, when it comes to uh, the Rays rotation, you know, Glass now is a freak of nature. I mean, he's so big and he's so strong and he is so agile and he is so talented. He I is. mean, you look at, at at what he did, you know, two years ago in 2019, you know, his April was just incredible. I mean, it was five and oh ERA of just, a, I think it was under one. And then he had the elbow issue and he missed, th- uh, you know, four months of this, of the season. Um, last year, I, you know, I thought, you know, that's a, that was a good rebound from, from coming back from the injury this year. Now he's got a third pitch, you know, he's gone from having the hundred mile an hour, fastball and the 83 or 84 mile an hour curveball and he would throw a fastball top of the zone curveball bottom of the zone now he's got a slider this cutter slider that he's throwing at 89 so now you've got three different pitches at three different velocities right. breaking in three different directions if you're a, if you're a hitter you're like what am i doing up here i don't right. i don't know what i should be looking for and so he just makes guys look stupid um, Michael Waka, I think has, I, I think Michael Waka looks like the Michael Waka that was an all-star in St. Louis this year. Yeah. And so, you know, his, his change up his backs, whatever Kyle Snyder has done for Michael Waka has worked. And so, uh, I I'm, I'm very happy with what I've seen from Waka Hill is going to be hot and cold. Um, you know, he had a great outing against the Yankees, a, uh, you know, a week and a half ago. And then last night, as as we're taping this, uh, you know, he pitched in Kansas City and couldn't get out of the third. In fact, couldn't even get an out in the third. Right. Um. So, you know, I, I think he's going to be hot and cold. And and the jury is out on Archer because he's made two starts. Uh, and I thought that he started to look better in the Yankees uh, outing. But then he leaves with the with the forearm tightness. Now, you know, the team is hoping that this is not you know something and and by all accounts you know the the forearm tightness is lateral and, and doesn't go down the arm uh which you know is what you normally see when you, a guy snaps his ligament uh you it goes it's going across the arm which which says it's more muscle te- or you know muscle uh inflammation or tendonitis uh instead and so uh, hopefully Archer can be back, but you know, Archer's not the same guy that we saw when we, tra- when the race traded him in 2018, he's completely, uh, he's, he has to, he has become a guy that needs to pitch as, a, as opposed to can throw because he's not throwing in the upper nineties, uh, anymore. But with all that, with all that veteran brought in, it's only as a placeholder for some of these guys to right. come to come up, you know, you're going to see Luis Patino. You've seen Josh Fleming now a couple of starts and you're going to see Shane McClanahan. That's the future of that, of the rotation, you know, with glass now in Yarborough, you're going to see Patino. You're going to see McClanahan. You're going to see Fleming and, and that, and, and you're going to get young very, very soon uh, in the rotation. Is, is, is Brent Honeywell, is he, is he, are they projecting him more as a reliever Based on his injury history, are they going to try to make him more of a maybe a closer down the road, something like that? I don't know. I, you know, I I thought that they would never give him an opportunity to start because of it, and he's now come up twice. He he opened. You know, he's still not fully stretched out, and they are being very very cautious with how they how they handle him because uh, because he's not stretched out, and because now he's had three or four elbow surgeries since 2018. Um, I, I think that 
they they are being very very cautious with him uh, he's not thrown uh more than i want to say 30 pitches right. yet in, in any outing so i'm i'm very curious to see what the actual plans are for him i'm curious to see what the plans are for brendan mckay you know right. that's another guy that they yep. had very high hopes for yep. and and is now coming off of uh, you know significant shoulder surgery um and so I think that, you know, those are two guys and those are two pieces, two very, very interesting pieces for what they for what they bring in certain aspects. You know, Honeywell, he has that screwball that he throws that I I think that a lot of hitters are going to go. What in the world is that? You know, I'm not used to seeing something like that come out of a out of a right hander's hand. And McKay's got the two way uh, experience. You know, you've got a guy that can you know, hit and, and has shown that he can hit well. And so, you know, is, is he Shoei Otani or is he going to be Burt Campanaris? I don't know. I, <laughs> I let's, that, that's, that's yet to be uh, determined, but those are two pieces that, uh, you know, are also going to be fixtures in the race pitching staff for years because they've got the opportunity to, to control them now for the next five, six years. And like you made a great point a uh, few minutes back about the Pirates. We're never going to make a trade with the Pirates again. People don't rise. We got Tyler Glasnow and Austin Meadows for Chris Archer a couple years ago. And obviously Archer's back on the back with the Rays. He was let go by Pittsburgh and not re-signed by Pittsburgh mm-hmm. because not, of his poor play. Not only did they get Glasnow and Meadows, but they also got this kid Shane Boz, who if you have not seen him pitch holy you know what because uh, <laughs> he throws 98 and has a nasty slider as well i mean he's he was a, a former first round pick so i mean the they least and and to be honest it's what cost neil huntington his job uh you know neil huntington lost his job over the chris archer trade right uh it was, it was a complete robbery by uh the race front office so kudos to them let's get to some of the batters to me, to me, a key to this, I mean, obviously you have, you had the, the electric meteoric rise of Randy Rosarena last year in the, in the postseason, came out of nowhere. Another, another kind of a throw-in guy into a trade that the, that the Rays made, that, that, that the Rays did a great job scouting, and that guy's turned into, uh, you know, Superman out in the playoffs. What do you think the Rays, from a hitting perspective, to me, I think a key to this, to this hitting lineup is Austin Meadows. He's been here a couple of years now. He's playing regularly. He it's his job in right field. Does he need to make the next jump as a as a productive player? What do you think as far as the, the lineup goes? I mean, I mean, Meadows a couple two years ago had 33 homers uh, and was an all-star. So I, I think that he's gotten to the point where we know what what Meadows' ceiling is. And the, the question for Meadows is how long can he stay at the ceiling and that that i think is going to be the big question i really think that the for the rays to have success offensively it's going to be contingent on guys like brandon lau and randy rosarena to prove that they can hit more than just the fastball i mean the book is out on both of those guys uh you know the you know to get lau out the book is you throw him a back foot slider because his eyes get wide and he and he's going down there to try and golf one out. And if he gets a hold of it, if you if you're not if you don't if you hang it whatsoever, he's going to hit it. But problem is, is that big league pitchers are good enough that they don't hang too many sliders. Sure. And so you you're gonna he gets the the back foot slider, he swings and he and he misses. You know, and the book on Rosarena is you can't throw him a fastball anywhere in the zone. He hits it and he hits it hard. So he has gotten more changeups, more sliders, more off speed. Uh, I I think he's gotten maybe three fastballs in the zone to hit this year, uh, and so I, I think that it really it's more contingent on guys like Brandon Lau and Randy Rosarena showing that they can hit off speed than it is Meadows. I think Meadows. I th- I think Meadows has proven that he can that he can put the team on his back and if need be and carry it. But I would love to see. Lau and a Rosarena and and you saw Lau Homer last night uh on a on a on a pitch that was uh inside he was able to get his get his hands in Meadows uh Meadows homered uh, last night as well and so I really think that 
you know, it, it's about building around Austin Meadows. I think Meadows, I think Meadows is going to be the centerpiece yeah. of it for, for years, but I think those other guys have to be able to show that they can contribute and contribute consistently uh, in order for this team to have enough runs to, uh, to put together another strong uh, showing. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think you got to get some more production out of first base. I think for, for first base wise, typically, I mean, it's typically a power position as far as dr- driving and runs. I know they've got the uh, G-Man. Yeah, Choi's injured. He's hurt, and uh, but you know, even when he plays, he's got to be more consistent. Just and he's a good player, but you want you, and he's a great defensive player, but you de- you definitely need some more offensive because that's to me. Again, I don't think you're you're going to win some games three to two and one to nothing, but with, with Archer, Waka, and Hill over the course of time, probably this year especially you're probably going to have to score a few more runs than you would normally have to. Well, I think that your power has come from second base, uh, you know, as opposed to first base. You know, how many guys, you know, have have super slugging second baseman like Brandon Lau? Right. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I understand, you know, corner uh, positions are supposed to be positions that, that, you know, put the ball in the air and drive in uh, boatloads of runs because they they're the ones that don't have to be, as strong defensively as the middle uh as the middle part of the the field but you know i i think that you know with Choi, i mean you saw Choi two years ago you know handle things pretty well uh offensively as well so i i think last year he got into the whole thing of maybe trying to switch hit which i think was a bad idea uh and then this year uh the knee issues uh, i think that um, then, I mean, cause he's not even on the field yet. Right. I mean, here we are, it's, you know, they were hoping that he was going to miss, you know, three to four weeks. And here we are now on April the 21st, he's not even out on the field doing baseball things yet. So, right. you know, this might be a while. And I understand that, you know, everybody is frustrated with Sutsugo at the plate and, you know, and, but. Yoshi and Yandi Diaz are not G-Man Choi defensively. Right. And unfortunately, neither of those guys are G-Man Choi offensively either. And you're going to have to deal with those guys and, and trying to get as much out of them as possible. Now, could Yoshi turn things around? He's he's now had he had a game win. He had the game winning RBI against Garrett Cole. He had a two run single last night uh, against Kansas City. Um, he's, they're paying him seven million dollars. So they're going to. They're going to try and make sure that, uh, you know, before they cast him aside and say, you know what, you're not good enough for us. They're going to try everything they can uh, with Yoshi. And I've always said it's so hard to get out of a slump sitting on the bench. So I I think they want to try and do everything they can to try and see because Suzuko showed in Japan that he can be the cornerstone uh, of an offense. And so, you know, is he going to be the 30 home run hitting guy? No, but Hideki Matsui wasn't either. Right. So uh, I think that you have to temper your expectations when you're coming from uh, a, a an organization where the pitching isn't as good. All right, last player question. Probably the, the number one player question all the Rays fans want to know. You know, we've heard this name for a couple of years, Mr. Wander Franco. What's the what's the story with him? When are we anticipating him getting called up? All are, are the obviously probably the Rays are intentionally keeping him down for a little bit because they don't want the clock to start on him. Is that correct to some degree? What are your thoughts on Wander Franco and when are we going to see him playing shortstop for the Rays? Well, you have to remember that Wander Franco is not played above the Florida State League level in, in games that matter. So, um, I you know service time clock be damned this, this is about trying to get a kid ready to to play major league baseball and yes he is an extraordinary talent i mean i've seen him play live yeah i saw him play live uh, in the minor leagues i i got a chance in 2019 to go to a charlotte stone crabs game here in clearwater um not too far from where i live uh because i'm in st pete and um you know, he's just an amazing talent and, and talking with with scouts that have seen him. You know, I remember having a scout say to me that in Bowling Green, he went a week and a half without swinging and missing at a, at a pitch. I mean, as an 18 year old, I mean, yeah. he was the he was the MVP 
of the Appalachian League, which is Rookie League Baseball, as a 17-year-old, which is, I mean, it, the, the, the ceiling on this guy is absolutely incredible. And I know everybody wants to see him. I had Dick Vitale say to me uh, last year, we need one DeFranco, baby. He's going to be awesome with a capital A. One DeFranco, bring him up now. And it's like, Dick, he's never seen pitching like, like he's he, like he would see at the big league level. He would be like lost because they just know, you know, the the talent, the gap in talent between the Florida State League and the major leagues is unbelievably large. Right. So right. Um, I, I, I honestly think that if you see Wander Franco this year before September 1st, something either very good is happening or something very bad is happening with the Tampa Bay Rays, to be honest. I think that he does get to the big leagues August 31st. I, 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 if, you, if you had to twist my arm and say, when is, when is Wander Franco debuting? August 30, August 31st, I say, I say he, makes, uh, he makes the big leagues because that, that makes him eligible for the postseason at that point. Um, you know, I, I think that we'll see just how close to August 31st that actually becomes when games get started here uh, in double A, because I yep. think he starts in Montgomery yep. uh, here on May the 4th. Uh, and if he tears up the Southern League, he'll be in Durham before you know it. And I think that, uh, you know, if he gets to Durham and he starts tearing up the, the International League, you you may you you may not have a choice and you may not have a choice but to bring him up because but that's the very good side right you know if he's coming up before that and it's it's because Willie Adamas is hurt right and that's the bad side so right. um August thirty first is if if I if I had to put a date on it that's the date that I'm putting on seeing Wander Franco in the big leagues this year interesting because I know like I said he seems to be the number one guy everybody's waiting to see and. Oh, he's the kind of guy that could unite a city and, and going into my next last couple questions, thoughts of what are your thoughts of any new, any new thoughts coming out of the Rays organization about a new stadium, the thought of Montreal and all that stuff that, that lingered last year. Uh, what, what are you hearing out of the, out of the organization as far as the, the, the long-term future of the Rays in town? In well, this is, this is, uh, this is the, the $64,000 question because the use agreement between the city of St. Petersburg and the team regarding Tropicana fields is up at the end of the 2027 season. And you know that they want to get shovels in the ground here very, very soon. Um, the team uh, principal owner, Stu Sternberg is two presidents, Brian Ald and Matt Silverman met with the St. Petersburg city council and at their meeting uh, last Thursday and because the city was getting ready to vote on picking a developer and a development plan for the Tropicana Field site, and the team came came to the came to the meeting and said, uh, "You may want to slow this down because you know we have ideas that you know about about this." Now they are still you know, Sternberg says he is still committed to the sister city plan, playing. Games in St. Petersburg from spring training through Memorial Day and then packing up shop and moving to Montreal for <laughs> June and July. And, and what, when when things are hot here, because what they're looking at is building an outdoor stadium uh, here on the on the site at Tropicana Field. And so the you know, I I personally am not a fan of, of the plan. Um but now now they've started, uh, you know, now they've they've started to get in the ears of the, the city council members because we had um, uh, the, the city council, uh, the, the I, I forget uh, the chairman of the city council. I almost said the president, but he's the chairman of the city council. Ed Montanari said, oh, you know, I was skeptical about it, but now I want to hear more about it. I'm interested. I, and so they're start they have started to get in the ears of the city's of the city council people and going, you know what, if you don't want to be the group that loses this team permanently. Right. But my, my response to that is that if this team is leaving 
to go to Montreal half the year and they leave at Memorial Day. What else happens around Memorial Day? Schools let out. And so now you've got all those kids that are out that are not going to be able to go to a Rays game because that team is in Montreal. Right. The other. So what do they do? They go to minor league baseball games. Well, what else did the Rays do this last offseason? They moved their minor league A-ball team out of Port Charlotte. There is no more Charlotte Stone Crabs down here. Their A-ball team is now in Charleston, South Carolina. Yeah. You know, the closest minor league affiliate for the Tampa Bay Rays is Montgomery, Alabama, the double-A team. You don't have anything in this, in this market. So the kids in this market, they're going to go to Dunedin. They're going to go to Clearwater. They're going to go to Bradenton. To they're going to go to Lake the Yankees. Lake. They're going to go to Tampa. And they're going to grow up and they're going to start getting invested in the players on those teams. And what's going to happen in two, three years, those players are going to be on the big league teams. So they're going to be Phillies fans. They're going to be Pirates fans. They're going to be Blue Jays fans. They're going to be Lakeland. Uh, they're going to be Detroit Tigers fans. And God forbid, they're going to be Yankees fans. Right. So now you have killed the fan base, the future fan base of your team because you want the money from Montreal. I, I, yeah, it's, it's, I, I, you know, it's gonna, I, I think, I think, I think, I think it is the harbinger of death of Major League Baseball in this area if this sister city, uh, approval. Oh, I, yeah, I, I don't think that's gonna happen. I think they're either gonna, I think it's, I think if they don't have a, if they don't have a solid deal done in the next probably 12 to 15 months, I think they're gone. I, I think Sternberg's gonna say, you know what, we're gonna go full time to either Montreal or whatever the next Charlotte or something like that. But I, I don't think that one, I don't think, I don't think that's going to fly at all. Cause like you said, the fan base in Tampa is not going to, not going to be a fan of it one bit of, okay, come Memorial day when it's the, you know, peak time for, for attendance, everybody's gone. I don't think the city will go for that. And I think it'll be a disaster if that ever turns into to the plan. I, I don't think, I don't think Sternberg is the, is the T is the person to move the team. But it wouldn't surprise me if he sells the club to a team because he has said he has no interest in selling club. But somebody's going to come through with an offer that knocks his socks off. And this yeah. is a guy that bought this team for I, I forget what he paid. I think it was like one hundred and ninety two million dollars. Something, something ridiculous like that. He's going to get an offer for close to two billion dollars. Right. You know, is he is he going to is he going to get one point five? Is he going to get one point seven five? Is he going to get? Two billion dollars from the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah. Now he is he is profit margin on this club is whoop, ten thousand percent. And I mean he's not he's not he's not in. You don't get to be where Stu Sternberg is yeah. by making by bad making financial mistakes. decisions. Yes, yes. It wouldn't surprise me if he's the one if he's if he doesn't move the team but instead sells the team to someone who wants to move them. You know, if does he sell it to Steven Bronfman and say, okay, you can take him, take him to Montreal, or does he sell them to somebody that wants to build uh, a major league ready stadium in Nashville or right. in Charlotte? I, I don't think he sells it to somebody who moves them to Portland, right? But Nashville, Charlotte, the Bronfman group, it's not out of the question sure. to me, you know, if, if, if they said, you know, we'll give you two billion dollars for your, for your team, and, and it's really adios. Yeah, it's really it's really sad because Tampa such a has such a rich history of high school baseball and and the number of major league guys that have come out of ta the Tampa Bay area over the mm -hmm. course of the last 40, 50 years, from Tony Larusa to Lou Pinella to Dwight Gooden, Gary, all the you know Hall of Famer type guys. And for us not to the area as a whole, not to be able to figure out a way to support the team, especially a team that's lived on such limited resources and done so well relative to so many other franchises in the major leagues in the last 10 years is really a shame. It's going to be, it's going to be a sad day. If the, if the Rays end up leaving, I certainly hope they don't leave because and I said this on my podcast under the orange roof, if they leave, what the hell have I done with the last 15 years of my life? <laughs> you know, have I wasted my time covering this team? You know, I don't want to feel like I've wasted my time. You know, I like the, the people, I like the people in the organization. You know, I like Stu Sternberg. I like, you know, personally, I like Eric Neander. I like Brian. All. I like Matt Silverman. 
you know, I understand, you know, if it's a if it's a business decision, I don't take it personally from them, but I do take it personally because, you know, I'm a member of this community and right. I want my major league baseball here. And, and, and unfortunately, uh, it's come to the point where the, the city council seems like they are more interested in being quirky and different and because that's the St. Pete brand. I, I heard one of the one of the council members say that in the meeting because they're looking at if if they are able, if this plan goes through, it also means the redevelopment of the Al Lang site, which is downtown uh, where the Tampa Bay Rowdies, the, the soccer team play now. The Rowdies are owned by the Rays. Right. So right. They, they would move. So it would be Rays baseball until Memorial Day and there would be Rowdy soccer the rest of the year. And so then they're like, oh, then we can we can do something with the downtown site and make it quirky and fun. And it's like quirky and fun is great, but you're doing it at the expense of sports fans. And right. you just want to be you just want to be different and you're just going to kill things here. I mean, I, I like art. I like art and artists. And I I feel that, you know, they, they deserve a, a spot. But come on, I want my baseball Absolutely. and I want my baseball here full time. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Steve, you've done a fantastic job giving the audience a, a breakdown of the organization, the Rays, the, the current roster, all that good stuff. We'll definitely have you back on as we move forward down the road. Tell everybody where they can find you. I know you've got some spots, some weekly spots coming up on WDAE. Tell, tell the audience where they can find you on social media as well. Yeah, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, it's at Steve Carney. Uh, more Twitter than Instagram, but I do both. Um, and then, uh, my website, stpete9.com. Again, you can use the number nine or you can spell out the, the number, but it's stpete9.com for all your Rays, uh, news and analysis. I've got my podcasts that are out there for Rays. It's called Under the Orange Roof. That's on stpete9.com. I also do a Bucks podcast called the Petercast. Uh, that's, uh, that's at the Petercast.com. And, and as you mentioned, three times a week on my old stomping grounds at WDAE, I was there at for 15 years. So it only made sense to stick around and uh, give the guys uh, the Rays baseball coverage that they need. You can find me Mondays, four o'clock, Wednesdays at 1230, Fridays at 730 in the morning uh, across WDAE talking Rays baseball. All right, I'm going to ask you one more. I'm going to ask you a sports radio question because I know you've got way more knowledge than I do and people in the market. What has happened to sports radio in the Tampa Bay market 10, 15 years ago, it was thriving. It seemed like to me, what, what is, there was multiple stations that had sports radio. It seems like sports radio. I mean, is it, is it cause of Sirius XM? Is it cause of streaming all these different podcasts? Do you have any thoughts on just the, the, the state of sports radio in the Tampa Bay market? It hasn't changed much. I mean, like I said, I was a DA, I was a WDA for 15 years and we really, with the exception of a 30 month stretch in from 20 uh you know from the beginning of 20 or i should say 2012 to the end of 2014 there wasn't really much of a there hasn't been much competition um you know and that's uh, i think that's a testament to how strong the the brand uh, of wda is i mean if when you think of sports uh in this market you think of WDAE you think of when 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 I started it was 620 WDAE the sports animal it's right. now you know Tampa Bay Sports Radio 95.3 WDAE uh you know all of the the major players have have been with DAE you know, from Chris Thomas to Steve Dumig to Ron Diaz to myself I I mean I yeah. I don't consider myself quite in the 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 same category as Chris Thomas and Steve right. Dumig and, and but I mean when you thought of when you thought of raised baseball, I would I would hope that one of the first names that came to mind was me uh, when it came to in yeah. this town. No, and absolutely. So, uh, you know, but but sports radio has had to evolve uh, over the years because of the fact that there are so many options out there for people, whether it's, you know, satellite radio, whether it's uh, streaming services, whether it's podcasts like yours jason i mean everybody you know you can have uh you know what you want at your fingertips you know your you know the, the smartphone has been a godsend 
and it has been a royal pain in the ass for sports radio because <laughs> you've you you well because it's changed the thinking of of programmers it's changed the thinking of hosts it's changed the thinking of producers it's changed the f- thinking of sales executives you know it's it's so different now than when i got started in 2005 here um and and you know and i was i've done i had done stuff long before i came here um and things have gotten so much different uh and so you know you you have to so you have to learn what your what your audience is looking for and you have to super serve them you know and whereas you know you and i can talk baseball all the time because that's what our audience wants and we can super serve our audience by talking baseball um they have to look at a much wider audience and they sure. have to super serve them so you know you're going to get a lot of football talk uh in sports radio the nfl is still king and you can still talk the nfl 365 days uh, out of the year. But there are times when, you know, the, the guys at DAE are going to have to go all in on the lightning because the, the bolts are, you know, run, making another run to a second straight Stanley cup, sure. or they're going to have to go in uh, to the Rays because the Rays are deep in another postseason run. And, you know, I think it, they've been very good. And this is from the, the, the top of the, Wrong, you know, the top of the food chain on down uh, in that building at Gandhi Boulevard from the, the market managers to the VPs of programming to the program directors that have been there. Guys like, you know, Steve Versnick and uh, John Mamola, who is the current program director there, all the way back through guys like Mike Killebrew and Brad James, um, who have you know, been the program directors there for, you know, going all the way back to when I started. Um, they've done a really good job of being able to sense what the audience wants and to be able to give the audience what they feel that they need. Cool. Good answer. Yep. Good. Um, well, Steve, appreciate the time, man. Definitely. We'll have you on down the road as we get deeper into the baseball season. Thanks for your time. Good luck with St. Pete nine. Good luck with your spots on DAE and keep up the good work, man. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it, buddy. Have a great day. Thanks. Yep. Yep. Thanks again for listening to the Powers on Sports podcast. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review on whatever podcast platform you are hearing us tonight. Remember, you can reach out to us on Twitter at Sports. So we'd love to hear your feedback, comments, suggestions for future episodes. And again, thanks for all the support. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues. And we'd love to see you back next time for the next episode of the Powers on Sports podcast. Have a great week.